I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist. This is part three of my interview with leading urologist and bladder expert, Dr. Richard Viney. In this final episode, we'll be covering cystitis and overactive bladders. Welcome back, Richard. So the first question we have is, I'm postmenopausal and I'm getting cystitis. My friend had the same thing and her GP prescribed estrogen. Could that help me? But before you answer Richard, could you briefly explain what cystitis is for us? Okay, so you put the word itis or suffix itis onto any word that means inflammation, conjunctivitis, gastritis. And in the bladder, the medics use the term cyst because it is a glorified cyst filled with fluid. And so cystitis means inflammation of the bladder. Cystectomy means removal of the bladder. So cystitis in this setting is inflammation in the bladder. Now, the most common driver of inflammation in the bladder is going to be infection. So most people equate cystitis as being an infectious event. And that's understandable. But other things can inflame the bladder. And that's where it can get confusing for, for, for patients, particularly if their bladder lining is, is, is sensitive. Now, the bladder lining is an extremely complex structure. It's not just, it's got, it's got these very fancy cells that are, are designed in such a way as they can expand and stretch as the bladder grows, but without allowing urine to, to penetrate through. Urine itself is incredibly um, uh, uh, irritative. Anyone who's had babies and looked at their nappies, the rashes that you can get in the urine can see what it can do. So the bladder produces slime lining to protect itself from the urine. If there's any failure in that, that lining and urine is sat directly on the bladder surface, you can get some, some chemical inflammation, some chemical cystitis. And so that's why certain foodstuffs and certain lifestyle things can, can make the bladder inflamed and irritable. And the, the patient will swear blind they've got a, an infection because the bladder responds to that irritation by just wanting to empty. And so you're going frequently urgent, with, with urgency. It burns when you pee. You think it's an infection. You go and see the GP. They do their magic test where they dip the urine looking for any traces of, of breakdown products of, of, of bacteria. And they see none. And they'll just say, sorry, it's not an infection. And, and it can be, and that, that can be confusing and difficult for a patient. But the reality is, is that they do have cystitis, there's no doubt about it. The symptoms are that of an inflamed bladder. It's just in that setting, an antibiotic is not going to fix them. It may be they need other things like um, the, the powders you get from the counter uh, at your local pharmacy. What that is doing is modifying the pH of your urine because it's the acidity of the urine that's doing the damage. So things like sodium and potassium citrate. We take those to modify the pH to make the urine a little less um, unpleasant to the lining of the bladder. And that's what eases the symptoms in that setting. Now, in this instance, we're talking about uh, uh, lady got through menopause. And if we look at genuine urinary tract infections in women, you get a number of spikes. You get a spike very early in life when they're being uh, potty trained. You then get another spike when they become sexually active, which then dwindles as they become parents. And then you get another spike at menopause. And that's due to the change in the microenvironment of the vagina. Of course, the urethra, the pipe that empties the bladder, runs through the, the, the front end of the vagina and the vulval area in general. As the hormone levels drop, the vulva tightens up, and doing so can tighten the urethra. And as the urethra gets tighter, it's easier for bacteria to work their way up. As bacteria move by division, if the pipe is tight, the surface area across which they've got to divide is much shorter, so smaller, so they get into the bladder much more quickly. So there may be what we call uh, urethral stenosis. Now, when you narrow a pipe, you won't notice a drop in the flow through it until it's been narrowed by over 70%. So a lot of menopausal women will have some urethral stenosis but won't necessarily be aware of it because the flow isn't obviously affected. 
but it's easy for bacteria to get up. Also, if you take samples from this area and look at it under the microscope, you see the T cell population, these cells that fight infection for us, changes and is less um, effective against infection. So the loss of hormones in, in that area do predispose to infection for a number of reasons. And so you can reverse that by taking hormones, either applied locally, usually with a pessary, and that's particularly helpful if you don't want to run the gauntlet of the perceived risks that go with HRT, which is still being extensively uh, debated. Uh, or you might just want a systemic HRT if you've got other systemic symptoms that you want to control. But yes, hormones will definitely help in the setting. Oh, that's right. Do you know, loads that I did not know, so that's been really interesting. And now this also I don't know the answer to either, so I'm going to be very interested to hear what you say about this, because it's one of those kind of, well, I always assumed it was a myth, but... The next question is, can cranberry juice really help prevent or treat or even ease the symptoms of cystitis? There's so much conflicting information about it on the internet. Now, I have to say, loads of people ask me this question and I don't know the answer. So, Richard, what is the answer? Okay, the, so the, the problem is, is there is a lot of conflicting information in the medical literature, which is done, one would like to think, to a very high standard. And when you've got lots of different publications, you get some bright spark or do what's called a meta-analysis where they pull it all together and try and pick it apart to see if there is a genuine benefit or not. Part of the problem is that cranberry juices themselves are variable and a lot of these studies will be using different types of cranberry juices and it's not the, it's, it's only a particular small element within the cranberry juice which is believed to be helpful. Um, uh, it's erythrocyanins or something, can't remember it myself, but it interacts, it, it definitely interacts with E. coli which are the bacteria that commonly cause infections and stops them, the, the adhesive molecules on the surface from binding to the bladder. So in theory, it should work. And that's why there's been a lot of interest in cranberry juice. But when we look at the studies and the hard data, is that again, there's different meta-analysis of, of, of weighed in favour and those of weighed against. But what we're seeing from the guidelines is now, for us as urologists, we're seeing that the recommendation for cranberry juice being removed from the guide, guidelines um, it doesn't mean it's not worth trying because on the flip side, it's harmless of the fact you have to pay a bit of money. You know, dentists may argue it's not great for your teeth. Um, but there could be an argument for what have you got to lose? Try it for six weeks. If it works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, then walk away from it. And whether it's because you're taking more volume and that's good because it's sluicing you out because you're peeing a little more frequently, and washing those bacteria out of the urethra, or whether it's really because of these elements within the, 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 uh, the cranberry juice, that's unclear. What I would suggest is that there are other things like D-mannose, which has a slightly stronger evidence base for it. That, that's the sugar that you can get as a supplement from a place like Holland and Barrett. And that works in a similar way by interfering with the interface between the bacteria and the bladder lining. That might be a better place to start. Oh, sorry, I haven't helped you much there, I'm afraid. Because <laughs> well, I think, I, I'd always heard this rumour that it somehow changes the pH of your urine and something like that. And I, I, I'd always sort of dismissed it. And I was always convinced that it was just because whenever anybody, you know, is kind of drinking cran cranberry juice, there was by litres of it and drink litres and litres in one go. And I always assumed it was that sort of flushing it out rather than the and, actual cranberry juice. And, and there's almost certainly an element of that as well. The problem is the science is not done very well because it's just, you know, you're not taking a bunch of people saying you're all going to have just a litre of cranberry juice and, and manage all the other fluids and foods and lifestyle elements around it. Mm. And that's the weakness of the studies that are being done here. And that, that's always going to be the problem with this kind of work. But, you know, what have you got to lose? I'd give it a go if it were me, regardless of what the evidence was to suggest. Because when we look at the evidence, even when you compare it against placebo, if the placebo is working, 
if you're lucky enough for it to be working for you, it's working. So, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And cranberry juice is nice. I, I, I like cranberry juice. So. Yeah. So uh, the next question is, my granddaughter, who's eight, still wets the bed. Is it psychological? What treatment can help? So bed wetting is, can be challenging. And a lot of the time, it isn't a health issue. When it comes to urinary problems, children usually grow out of them. But if they get worse as they're growing, then that's a worry. So that's always a little useful rule of thumb for any parents. But I'd be interested to know whether the child is still scared of the dark, for instance, and therefore may wake and just simply is too scared to go to the toilet. Or whether she just genuinely is completely, this is completely accidents happening while she's in deep sleep. So that's something the parent can tease out to the child. And if it is because they're scared of going to the toilet, then you can look at things like night lights or trying to identify where those fears sit and try and work around them. But if, it, if she's genuinely just wetting the bed in deep sleep, then you can, there's two types of approaches here. You can use specialist mattresses, which have a little alarm in them, which will wake the child up when they wake themselves. That is a little bit, you know, the horse is bolted and stable door type situation. What you're trying to do is create some awareness within the child of, what, of what's going on in their body. But the alternative is you just set an alarm. So let's say you set the alarm at four o'clock, wake yourself up, you go through, wake the child, take, see if they're dry. If they are, take them to the toilet. If they're wet, change them clearly, and set the alarm the following night at three o'clock. And you bring that alarm forward until you wake up before that child wets the bed, take them to the toilet, let them have a wee. And, that's, and what you're probably seeing is their bladders are slowly still growing and developing. And the, the, the kidneys, this rhythm we were talking about, is chaotic when they're young, but starts to pick up the rhythm as they get older. You're just trying to move them through this period while their, their bladders and their kidneys and what have you settle down into a normal pattern of behavior. And hopefully with time, the child will learn to do this themselves and you can then switch your alarm off and leave the child with their own alarm. But that will be a way around it. You can medicate in this setting if it is problematic. Um, there is a medication that will reduce kidney urine output through the night. Just involves a little bit of careful blood pressure monitoring and, and, and salt monitoring. So it brings a level of intervention that, that is a nuisance. But if it's really problematic, there is a medicine for this situation. So it sounds like for, for most of the vast majority of children, it's just it's a physiological and behavioural kind of thing, and they will grow out of it. And there's just sort yeah. of interventions that you as the parent can do yeah. to just make it a bit easier for them. And sort of yeah, reassure exactly. them as well. Exactly. And it reduces, it makes the kid not feel that awkward about it, it saves you on the change the bedding and the, and the trashing of the mattress. So that's why it's, it's nice to get that sort of alarm clock, that measure in place. Because the last thing you want to do, well, for any parent, you know, getting up at four in the morning, you're never in your on, on best form, particularly when you've got to strip the bed, put fresh bedding on, strip the child, put fresh, you know, give them a shower. You're never at your best at that time. So the child's not going to, can be understandably upset themselves by seeing mum and dad's like, to what's going on. So that can be avoided all the better. How much water should we drink a day? The much touted eight glasses, or is it just when you're thirsty? Hydration is very important. I think we're more aware of that now than ever. Just the way you function is better when you're hydrated. So if you're a sportsman, a woman, or, or, or whatever setting you're in, if you're underhydrated, all these little elements of your body don't work quite as well as they should. So being aggressive with, with fluid is not a bad thing, although you can overdo it. There are little things that you can do tells in your body that will give you an idea of whether you are adequately hydrating yourself. Thirst is brilliant. Your mouth feels a little bit dry, you're unhydrated, there's no doubt about it. But the other place, of course, is the toilet. When you do go and have a wee, just have a quick look at the colour of that urine. If it is yellow, you're underhydrated. You want your urine to be pretty much water coloured. That's when you're in the sweet spot from a hydration perspective. 
Water can be a little bit artificial because, of course, you're getting a lot of fluid from other sources, particularly what you eat. So if you have a high salt diet, for instance, you're going to need more water to accommodate that. If you have a high fruit diet, you probably don't need quite as much water. So the term out and say everyone needs eight glasses is a little bit over-prescriptive, but it's helpful because it's making people think about their food intake. So rather than kind of fixating on the actual amount, uh, even yeah. that might prompt us, actually the way to be kind of checking whether or not we're hydrated is by looking at actually our urine and the colour of our urine. I, I think it is the best test, yeah, absolutely. And then finally, is it bad to go to the loo just in case before you leave the house? I read that it can make your bladder oversensitive. So I think in certain instances it makes complete sense to have a quick trip to the toilet. If you know you're not going to get access to a toilet for some hours, it's a very sensible step to take. However, if you're doing it all the time, you're almost doing the opposite of what we call bladder retraining. So if you've got someone with an overactive bladder, one of the tips we give them is to try and retrain their bladder. The bladder's got stretch receptors in it. And the stretch receptors learn at which point to, to signal the brain to tell us to go to the bladder. And if you're emptying the bladder when it's not particularly full, those stretch receptors are going to reset themselves for dealing with a smaller amount of volume. So what we try to do is teach people to, when you feel that urge, fight it. You know, watch the clock for five minutes and then go to the toilet. And every time you do that, you just buy yourself a little bit extra volume in the bladder, to a point, of course. That's bladder retraining. If you're going the other way, empty the bladder before you get even any sensation, then the danger is rather than stretching those receptors and making them work at a higher volume, you're allowing them to start working at a lower volume. But I think you'd have to be going at it a lot to fundamentally interfere with the way your bladder behaves. So I wouldn't necessarily urge people not to do this, but I suppose it could potentially predispose you predispose to an overactive bladder if you were doing it all the time. I suppose it's kind of like about being a bit sensible. You know, if you're going to go on a four-hour car journey and there won't be any service stations on the way, maybe that's a good idea. But actually, if you're just popping around the shops, then maybe you don't need to do it. That's absolutely right, yeah. Because you're starting to learn a weird behaviour. It's like, it then becomes a bit like the person who's going, going to the toilet four times before they go to bed. It's almost like an OCD routine that's, that just starts to become unhealthy. Yeah, so it becomes like a behavioural trait that actually yeah. is yeah, having a negative impact. Okay. Yeah. Richard, thank you so much for your time. That's been really fascinating. I feel like I know loads about urology now. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's all there is to it, though. There's not much else to learn. But yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. But I think if a patient is bothered by the symptoms, get some advice because there's always something you can do. And I think if there has been a change in the behaviour of the bladder, a bit like there's been a change in the behaviour of the bowel, that needs looking at because there may be something more to it. That's all we've got time for today, but I want to thank Dr Richard Viney for answering our questions for the past three weeks. If you want more from Richard, he is at thebladderclinic.co.uk and you can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. Whilst you're there, please leave us a review. And don't forget to sign up for the Daily Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk. 